Hi, everybody. We welcome back to session four, our final session together. We have traversed and journeyed a couple of different fantastic things that helped us begin to dig a little bit deeper, be more introspective about what's happening in the body and the mind and how our brain works as we navigate life and leadership. Now, we ended the last session talking about how do we start to prepare, you know, uh, our awareness and the way we think and intersect with others. So it's the perfect segue into this session around identity and intersectionality. So let me just start with giving us a definition of what I mean by intersectionality. Now, we do have a formal definition. Then I have a very simple one that I often use. So the, the formal one is one that was created by Professor Kimberly Crenshaw back in the late 80s. She mostly was using it in this sort of the women's rights movement. But as you can see here, it's, it's really something very complex and very interesting for us to reflect on as leaders navigating these ecosystems with multiple contexts at play. So when we talk about intersectionality in a very formal way, we're talking about the co complex coexistence of factors that describes how overlapping or intersecting social identities relate to our social and institutional systems and structures. Now that seems like a really big mouthful to me. So here's how I say it in simple terms. What I mean is I have my identity, the way I see myself in the world but that identity doesn't always align with the identities that other people attribute to me. And with these identities, we're walking around, we're intersecting one another, interacting with one another, and we're doing it all within context, those surroundings, those ecosystems. And we all know that our identities influence the experience we have in life. So my experience as a woman would be different from a man's. My experience as a person of color would be different from somebody who's not. And even in my cults, if we dig further down into my cultural segments, as an African-American woman, as a family of immigrants coming from the Cape Verde Islands, different language, different food, we all have these things. So we are operating in systems and structures with our own identities. So you come to work as a leader, as a manager, as a supervisor, as a coordinator, as a receptionist, as a team member, as a person of a viable living organism called our organization. And everybody else is doing the same. So we have all kinds of identities. Now, you may see as we navigate this, there are different kinds of identities we may attribute to ourselves. There's gender, there's age, there's culture and race, there's ability, religion, as I said. Um, there's also class and uh, social orientation and identity, and so much more. And we carry all of that around, and that informs our presence. And it also influences how people receive and perceive us. So here's what I'd like to do as we explore this with one another. I'm going to ask you to pause in just a moment the video. and But before you do, I'm going to invite you to pull out a piece of paper, and on that paper, draw in the center a circle and write the word me inside the circle. And then on the outside of that circle, draw six circles. And when you're done, your paper should look like this. When you pause the video, I'm going to invite you to take a few moments to write a word or a label in each circle that really is a way you identify yourself in the world. 
You know, it could be something as simple as woman or man or non-binary or whatever it is. Or it may be something like athlete or a particular racial or cultural group or religious group. It can be whatever you want it to be. So pause now and take a moment to put those labels or descriptors in your circles. All right. Now that you've done that, I want you to take a moment and just look over what you see. Now, I also appreciate that there are probably many more things you wanted to put and to limit it to, to reduce your identity to six circles is nearly impossible. So we're not saying that these are the only things that are, are part of your identity or that make up who you are. We're just kind of uh, giving a, a, a quick top list just to help us get the, uh, the exercise and practice going. All right. Now, see if you notice anything when you look at this. And I'm going to invite you to then pause the video again and look at these reflection statements and see if you can answer them for yourself. The part of my identity that I'm most aware of on a daily basis or that's most emphasized or most important in my family when I was growing up. And work your way through each of the six, pausing between each one. In fact, as you finish one, I invite you to take a full, slow breath in and out, and then transition to the next. And when you finish all six, taking a moment again to notice what's there and to notice if there's anything that you are more curious about. Perhaps it's to look into further, to journal on, to uh, be in conversation with someone about, and then take those actions. So go ahead, pause the video, and take your time to reflect on these statements and your identities. Now that you've reflected on these statements, you have to, I want you to think about them and cascade them out to what does that mean as I show up as a leader? And maybe you're not in an external organization. Maybe you have your own business, your own company. Maybe you're a coach. And all these things are important because you bring those identities to your coaching, to your business, to a business if you're working on the inside. You also bring them out into your community. So it's important to understand these dynamics because they are also working at the feelings in the body when somebody's identity might rub up against your own or that the paradox prediction and perception start to get a little bit of hiccup because your data set is different from somebody else's. So understanding how these things show up and manifest help give us additional information as well. Because part of what we are responsible for as leaders is to bridge, to create belonging and unity within our organizations. That creates psychological safety. It begins to also help us create communities where people flourish. And then that means the organization does as well. So let's talk about bridging and breaking. Some of you may be familiar with the work of John A. Powell from the Othering and Belonging Institute. And he describes breaking as basically otherizing groups of people or um, types of people. So we, we tend to create marginality around these, these groups, creates inequality, it creates lack of access, and it doesn't embrace and acknowledge the full range of human difference and sameness. Now, I say this 
all the time that sometimes we place too much emphasis on sameness or too much emphasis on difference. And what I'd like to offer for your consideration, for your thought, is that sameness and difference are equally important on the road to oneness. And that oneness is that belonging and unity. Our differences can be beautiful, as can the things that are the same. But when we start to be in judgment around difference or sameness, remember, we start to narrow the opportunity for discernment and curiosity. So the opposite of othering is not saming, it's belonging. And when we bridge to help create belonging, we start to bring in the full scope and capacity and spectrum of humanity, what it means. It's more than access, it's actually being included. A lot of times we talk about um, belonging, but we also need to make sure that in that belonging, we're creating opportunities for inclusion. Some of you may have heard this, that sort of diversity is being invited to the dance, but inclusion is actually being invited to dance. And so we want to make sure we're doing all those things so that at a basic level, we have the opportunity to co-create and make demands on society. Because after all, when we do that, we are pulling back from the empathy and compassion and we are putting it into action. Now, as we do that, there are some realities. There are many things that can get in our way of putting empathy into action to being compassionate in these ecosystems and creating ripples. And I offer this very, very brief list for you to keep top of mind, to check in, just like you would check in with your body and your body maps, just like you would check in about your mental narratives, making sure that you are continuously expanding your perception. Also, invite yourself, challenge yourself to be expanding your compassion and um, be aware of the markers or indicators that might get in the way of us expressing empathy and compassion. And some of those are perceptions of fairness. So sometimes we take the humanity out of the equation when we're dealing with somebody we think has behaved in ways that create unfairness. We have to be careful of that as well. We do need to hold people accountable. We do need to have healthy boundaries and we need to make expectations clear, but we also need to make sure we maintain the humanity in the equation and that we don't continue doing the bridging and breaking which means creating in-groups and out-groups in ways that create division. It doesn't mean that aligning yourself or, or getting to know people who are like you is a bad thing or that you don't know a lot of people who aren't like you is a bad thing. The invitation is opportunity is to help bridge the two so that you begin to expand your in-group and that you help to influence and provide more data for the prediction and perception cycle that your brain is in continuously as humans, but also in many hours of each day as leaders. And we have to remember that the social context matters. So what this looks like in a, in a meeting with your team versus out uh, on an airplane flying to a client or in a client meeting or in the community can be different. There are different nuances. And as we do that, remembering that awareness happens in that context. And we're always pulling through that center circle of self out to others, surroundings, and ecosystem. So there's an internal lens of awareness and an external lens. And the same is true for compassion. Compassion has to start with that internal lens of self-compassion. 
And remember, there's a there's this book by Don Miguel Ruiz, which I love, called The Four Agreements. And one of the four agreements, these are four agreements that you make with yourself, not with other people. And one of them is to always do your best. And remembering that just like with self-compassion and compassion, that sometimes we don't really get it right. And that's why context matters. So always doing your best is going to look different if you're sick or if you're going through a crisis or if you're caring for an elderly parent or an ailing parent or a child who is sick or you're sick yourself. So remember that context matters not just in how you deal with other people, but also how you treat yourself on the journey. And in that, we have this ability to maximize the spaces in between when something happens and when we respond. Now, some of you may be familiar with this quote that is often associated with the work, describing the work of Viktor Frankl, Holocaust survivor and psychiatrist. And it says this, that between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and freedom. So think about that for just a moment. When you get that phone call, when you get that email, when somebody says something to you in a meeting, you could respond right away without giving any thought, or you can simply take that pause, that brief pause in that moment to skillfully choose what you say and what you do next. Now it doesn't, it may sound like I'm asking you to take five minutes, which would be unnatural in a conversation. Although sometimes, depending on what's happening, we may need to end the conversation, step away and come back. But when you practice this, you'll know, even if you just simply take a deep breath before responding, it gives the brain, activating that the parasympathetic nervous system, maybe even the vagus nerve, depending on how you take that breath, and then leaning into a skillful response. And it allows us also to remember to take purposeful pauses. And while you could take a deep breath or you could take a dedicated moment, like a moment to arrive or a body scan, you can also do something like taking three breaths. And three breaths is a gift of a purposeful pause. Now, sometimes you could just do the three breaths and that's enough. And sometimes we need to attribute intention around it to help us really find our grounding and our center. And if that's helpful, I can offer this. With the first breath, simply bringing your attention to the sound or sensation of your breath. And with the second breath, do that body map scan, right? You've already created body maps and maybe checking in with those locations that you know tend to hold things for you. And then with that third breath, perhaps even asking a question very much like we do with compassion, but maybe shortening it to something like what's important now. Because after all, as leaders, we are simply stewards in the moment of people, places, and things. And it is an honor and a privilege to serve others and to support others as we tip in, dip into a well that we are replenishing resetting and restoring in healthy ways. I'm going to close this piece in this, this sort of session's journey with a quote from Isabel Wilkerson's book, Cast. Because we are all finding ourselves here, arriving at the same place. 
I have an expression I use all the time that we are all weathering this storm together, but not all our boats are equally equipped. Yet, here we are. So, in this quote, Isabel Wilkerson says, We are all homeowners who have inherited a house on a beautiful piece of land, but the soil is unstable and cracks have begun to develop in the foundation. Not one of us was here when this house was built. Our immediate ancestors may have had nothing to do with it, but here we are. The current occupants of a property with stress cracks and bowed walls and fissures built into the foundation. We are the heirs to whatever is right or wrong with it. We did not erect the uneven pillars or joists, but they're ours to deal with now. And any future deterioration is in fact on our hands. And when we step into leadership knowing that, and we know all the things that come before that in terms of what we carry in our bodies and our minds and cultivating the muscle and capacity for awareness, awareness and context and compassionate and wise action, we begin to develop ourselves as leaders who are bridge builders, who are impactful and create legacy with performance and more. And why is that important? Because what happens to one of us happens to all of us. With that, I thank you. I thank you for for investing in yourself in this program and for investing in how you can take more agency over how you show up at work, at life, and at play, because all of it matters. Thanks so much. And I hope you will continue to enjoy the journey with the future modules and sessions. As always, we love to hear from you. Please share your insights with us in the sandbox or write to us at innermba at soundstrue.com. And thanks for being part of the Inner MBA and for both the inner and outer work you do to benefit others.